Welcome to Long Story Short Podcast, where we reveal short stories of an active, living God who shows up in everyday life. You paid the price for all the world to me. You paid the price for all the world to see. And for those who choose you now, Shalom. special time for us though was like really in, I felt like it was really intimate in that we knew a secret I mean we, <laughs> that we knew this was our last dance that this was it and and Ken was you know, like we cannot tell anybody because this is not about us welcome to a long story short podcast I'm Lisa, and my husband Brent and I are so glad that you're taking the time to listen to podcast number nine. We're looking forward to introducing our friends, Ken and Patty. As we sat around their table to hear their story, we were reminded of how even though we know and believe that God is good, life is full of unpredictability. Each life is full of circumstances and experiences that are combined with a unique purpose, personality, and DNA. Nothing can be taken for granted except that God is good and he holds each life in his hands. With that as the backdrop, we're honored and privileged to share Ken and Patty's story. It beautifully reflects many complicated facets of human life. Well, hello, I'm Ken Brown. Oh. And this is my, I'm here with my wife, Patty Brown. We're going to talk a little bit about our journey with my da- being diagnosed with ALS, how it's, how we've come to terms with it and how we see God's hand through this. Uh, a verse that we'd like to kind of put as a backdrop to this discussion is Proverbs 69, which says, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. So how do, you, how do you see that as being relevant to us? Well, we had a plan of how our life was going to unfold as our kids moved out of the house, and clearly the Lord had a different plan for us than we had. I definitely had a plan. Um, as soon as our kids got into high school, I started thinking about empty nest, and I didn't want to be one of those moms that like, oh my gosh, now who are we, and what are we going to do, and who are you? And So we wanted to come together and have an idea of what are we going to do when our kids leave, and who are we? And we need to find some common interests. So one thing I'd always wanted to do was uh, dance, like actually like ballroom dance and salsa and things like that. So our church had a marriage ministry. So we quickly got involved with the marriage dance ministry there. We also decided, hey, let's get, some, let's get a gun <laughs> so we can go shoot and learn how to shoot together. So we got our concealed carry permit and got a gun. And then I thought, hey, wouldn't it be great if we get a motorcycle? Let's get a motorcycle. And you know how to ride a motorcycle. And then we can travel around. And our church had a motorcycle gang of sorts. (laughs) 
And so we wanted to be a part of that. So we got a motorcycle, all of this before our son graduated from high school, thinking, oh, this is going to be our life, and we're going to be set. And, and God kind of had different plans for us. So by 2012, we were well on the way to dancing, had our own gun, had our <laughs> conceal and carry permits, had the motorcycle for two years, we're going on trips with people from church, and we were pretty much implementing the plan that we thought was going to be our plan for the next 20, 30 years anyway. Well, Another, probably not 30, because we probably wouldn't be riding the bike at 80. But I guess I was okay, planning on it, okay. but who knows. Okay. Uh, anyway, an uh, interesting thing also happened along this same time frame is we're both uh, adopted, and through some very bizarre divine circumstances, I was able to call my mo birth mother, find my birth mother, and talk to her in November of 2012 on a Saturday, and another divine circumstance, I happen to have a business trip to Boston where she lives that following Monday where my meeting on that Monday had been canceled. So I had that whole Monday open, and I offered <clears throat> if she'd be willing to meet with me two days after talking to her on the phone, and she did, and we've had a great relationship established in that short period of time. I work for Boston Scientific, so I've been out there in the last three years probably a dozen times and have seen her every time, so I've got to see her quite a bit. And I didn't know what God's hand was in there. I have to since discovered she's an atheist, but she, she is uh, very supportive of me being a Christian, so I, I feel I have a role to uh, lead her to Christ in some way. But we didn't know really all of that at the time, and all I knew is that I was... Just the whole way all of it unfolded with Ken getting to meet her and going out to Boston, and I was so excited because I just knew that God was going to do something really, really big um, with our relationship with Carol, and I mentioned it several times. I'm like, I can't wait. I just cannot wait to see what God's going to do with this about getting to meet Carol and, and where this is going to go, and I would have had no idea where it was going to go. So that was in late 2012. As we rolled into 2013, there wasn't much different in our life in 2013 until our son's graduation in June of 2013 when we had an open house. I ended up spraining my left ankle, mowing the lawn quickly on a root. Did not think anything of it other than I tripped on the root and sprained my ankle. Uh, but as a, in hindsight, I can see those were the first signs of me having ALS. Uh, basically what happened from that point on, we had a very busy summer planned. We went on a motorcycle trip along lakes, around Lake Superior with some friends from church. I went up to the Boundary Waters with my small group. Uh, and at each point, I was, no, I was struggling with that left foot that didn't heal correctly. And in the Boundary Waters, I twisted it once again and couldn't carry heavy loads on the portage. And so I didn't know what was going on with it. Then again, um, Patty had noticed that I was walking funny. Like I clip, didn't like clip clop, clip clop, like Frankenstein. He would like walk and slap, 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 yeah, slap, slap, slap. I, and I, I, was... I didn't even notice it because I'd got used to walking that way with a limp. Um, but I could still keep up a good pace. I could still walk long distances, so that wasn't an issue at that point. So it wasn't that intrusive into my life. Then uh, the men's retreat that year in September, I went out to play football with the guys. I had been playing football every year for the last 20 years. 
and I twisted my ankle within a few minutes again. And I said, why isn't that ankle healing? I had to sit out. And being the ever-encouraging wife, I was just convinced it was because you hadn't taken care of it. Because your ankle. I hadn't taken care of it, yeah. and I couldn't disagree with it. I didn't do anything to rehab it. Uh, then when I finally got into November of 2013, I ran a 6K at work that I'd ran every year for the last 17 years without an issue. And as I ran that thing, I ran slower and more Painfully. fatiguing and than I'd ever ran before. I actually had to stop at the three-mile point and walk a bit. And I said, something was really wrong with me because that shouldn't be happening. And that's really what was my wake-up call to go look at doctors and so forth. So then I started pursuing doctors and moving on from there, trying to figure out what was wrong with me. Um, interestingly, uh, not, oh, you all, then you didn't talk about your hand freezing up in the garage. Oh, I'm sorry. My hand... <laughs> Later in that year, well, that November was later, as I'd work in the garage on either my motorcycle or a car, I had noticed that my left hand would, over time, just kind of freeze up and wouldn't be able to hold things anymore. If it warmed up, it was fine, and I thought it was odd because it wasn't happening in both hands. It was just my left hand. My right hand was fine. I didn't think anything of it, and Patty would minimize that, too, to say, oh, that was just some, uh, weird autoimmune, some thing. autoimmune thing. You'll figure that one out. And I didn't think much of it either. I just thought, oh, well, I'll just go warm it up, and then I go back out and work some more. So it wasn't, again, it didn't really get in the way of many things, but it was progressively some early signs that something was wrong with me. So this was shortly before Ken got diagnosed I was out to lunch with some um, neighbors of mine, and one of them had moved out quite a while ago from our neighborhood, and she said, well, Patty, how long do you guys think you'll be in your house? And for as long as I can remember, my always thought was whenever anyone asked me how long we would stay in our house, I would always say, well, until one of us couldn't go up the stairs anymore. And I would always think, like, when we were 80 or something, and little did I know how true that statement would be and how interestingly close it was to the whole diagnosis of Ken. Well then, <clears throat> as that led, led up to what we call Ham Day. Ham Day was uh, no, 9th. February 9th of 2014. And what we call Ham Day was, is because we had ham that night, had a large ham, and afterwards, of course, we didn't eat it all. I'm trying to cut it up, and I'm holding it with my left hand, and cutting with my right. Now this is inside at room temperature and the same thing happens to my left hand. It freezes up or it, it, go, it loses strength. Now it isn't a matter of me being out in the cold garage, it's a matter of inside and when I told Patty that, that was the then first was, time she was, like, was actually concerned <laughs> yeah. that I had something serious going on. So he was scheduled to have his EMG the next day, and it was like that night when he said it froze up again in the, in the, at household temperature, I realized that something really big was going on. It was interestingly interesting because before that, even at our small group and things like that, he would, he would pray or tell me, oh, you know, I just need to like, accept that the, you know, whatever the Lord has brought my way with my limp, that I might limp forever. And I always minimized it thinking, oh, it's just, it's fine. You're going to get fine. You're going to get fine. It, it's going to be fine. Everything's always fine. It always works out. This is going to work out, too. I don't know why you're praying that the Lord gives you acceptance over whatever's going on with you because it'll be fine. So that night of the ham, the next day was Ken's, um, 
when he met with the neurologist for his EMG, which is they'll stick needles in your muscles and shoot in electricity to see how your muscles twitch and respond to that electricity. If your nerves are failing, you don't conduct as much electricity. Mm -hmm. So Ken was having that on um, the 10th of February, and that day while I was at work, I'm a, like a mental health nurse practitioner, and I went online to the U of M researching his symptoms, trying to figure out what it was, and this and that and this and that and this and that. And one of the things I looked at was this thing called a split hand index, and they talked about how oftentimes one of the early signs of ALS is your left hand, one of your hands is smaller between your thumb and forefinger, index finger, than, than your other hand. And I thought, oh, wow, gee, that's interesting, blah, 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 I'll just keep looking on. Then Ken called me that night and told me about the EMG and how the EMG was supposed to be 40 minutes and went it two hours. It was supposed to be 30 minutes. The tech did it. Then the neurologist came, and after I told him about the hand weakness, he not only did my left foot, my left hand, my right foot, my right hand, my back, my neck, my whole body, basically, for two hours, and then he said, me with electricity. And then he said at the end, you told me when I was at work, you told me at the end, that the neurologist grabbed, took your hand, he goes, look, look how your left hand looks different than your right hand. And as Ken was telling me that story, I remembered that article that I had read earlier in the day of how that's an early indicator of ALS. And I think it was at that moment that I knew that that's what it was. So I remember driving home that night, calling um, this nurse that I work with, saying, you know, I think he's got ALS, what should I do, should I tell him, I don't think I should tell him, what good would it do, I don't think I should tell him, what do you think, and we both had come to the decision, okay, we're not going to tell him, um, you're assuming you have knowledge that you don't really have anyway, Patty, and I'm like, okay, okay, I'm not going to tell him, and I tried to get peace with that, and I got home that night, and I'm making dinner, and Ken says, so what do you have, what do you think I have, what's my diagnosis, I'm like, I don't know, all of a sudden, I was ignorant, you know, all of a sudden, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I don't know what you have. But I'm not a I neurologist. I can see by her face she knew something. I don't know. I have no idea. And he goes, no, no, tell me. And I finally says, okay, fine. I think you have ALS, like Lou Gehrig's disease. And he was quiet. And I, I, did, I didn't know really what it was at that point. I, I grouped it at that point with MS or Parkinson's and thought, okay, this is a bothersome disease. And it's bad, but bad. I'm not going to die from it. I'm not going to die from it. I'm not going to die from it. Yeah, so we'll get through this. And you couldn't understand why I felt so. And then she was really broke up, and I said, it's okay, well, Patty. I wasn't crying. Gonna... I don't think you, it was. You no, were it was... at some point. Was I? Yes, you were. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> so you know how bad it was, and I didn't. And maybe that was God's blessing. It was God's blessing. I wasn't going to. I knew I was, <clears throat> I was not going to be the one to tell you, oh, by the way, it's fatal. Yeah. No. But I did discover that the very next day. So I'm in an all-day series of all-day meetings. This is on the, the 11th, I guess it would be, of, of February. And, of course, I can't help but in a break to Google ALS. You couldn't have Googled it the night when I was with me. No, I didn't. Just, I, I didn't want to do it then. No. It was, it was late, too, when I got home. But anyway, so I'm reading this, and I'm reading 90% of ALS patients die in three to five years. And I go, oh. <laughs> this is quite a bit worse than I was thinking. Mm -hmm. And then read more about how you degrade into a quadriplegic and all this. And I go, that doesn't sound fun either. Uh, I said, hmm, yeah, this is kind of a big deal. Uh, I then immediately messaged back to the healthcare provider in the neurology clinic in the U of M 
saying, I really want to see something about somebody about my EMG results right away. I fear I may have ALS, and I hope I'm wrong. Uh, that the next day, that Wednesday, I get a call from the the neurologist's assistant saying that Dr. Walk, who was the neurologist that did the EMG, wants to work me into his schedule early on that Thursday. That would be Thursday the 13th. And what was really kind of amazing about that was I see patients all day, and oftentimes I see upwards of 18 or 19 patients a day. And that Thursday, my schedule was really empty. I think I had to reschedule two people that morning. I feel like that was just really the Lord just clearing out my schedule so that I was able to go and, and be there. So we happened to go that Thursday morning, which happened to be, which we found out later, was ALS Day at the clinic. We had no idea when we went out that it was ALS Clinic Day because what happened is we met with the neurologist first thing at 7.30. We, I think he really got off the hook because he normally would have to tell someone the devastating news that he had oh, ALS. Oh, what you think is your pinched nerve is or, ALS. Yeah, what I think is my pinched nerve. And I told him, I think I have ALS. And he said, why do you think that? I went into split hand index, and he said, well, unfortunately, I agree with you, but we need to do due diligence testing to make sure it's not something else. So then the ne for that day and the next couple days, I did a whole series of invasive and blood tests and spinal MRIs and all sorts of things, doing other tests that I so hoped I would fail because that would mean something better than ALS. And unfortunately, all those tests passed, and... That left me with a diagnosis of ALS. And in the meantime, during that week, I realized that if Ken did have ALS, that we had to sell our house. The house that I had prophetically said we would live in that house until one of us couldn't climb the stairs anymore and had no idea. That so that ironic would, kind that of That would be that year. Yeah. Yeah, a week later than I talked to my friends. So... So in, so it was a whirlwind in, in February. Another interesting thing about that is I was slated to go to Guatemala mm -hmm. with a mission trip at the end of February into March. Not only that, I was to be the primary translator and had been working for six months to really strengthen my Spanish. And then to get that, I said, I just can't bail on that now. And that was a very difficult time because Patty really didn't want mm. me to go at that point. Yeah, Ken left um, like two weeks after you got your diagnosis. So I was diagnosed on the 13th and we left on the 29th. It's 16 oh, days yeah. later. Yeah, and I had to start clearing out the house and scraping off wallpaper and start painting and all of that all by myself. That was, that was hard. It was really hard to be by myself like that. But I knew that um, Ken needed to be where he was. And then we had to tell our kids and trying to decide. Yeah, that, uh, whole, that whole communication plan. With the kids was, was with, hard. With the kids, was, it was very hard. It was hard telling anybody that I told early on it would send me to tears and break down. It wasn't until after I told maybe a dozen people that I could do it without having an emotional breakdown. Um, I eventually, can't, I, within a few days, I realized I needed a communication plan. One of the blessings of having been on the elder board at our church as long as I have and see how the church meticulously plans out. First we tell the senior staff, then we tell this group, then we tell this, then we send out the letters. And, and I realized how wise that was, and I realized right then and there I needed that same type of a meticulous plan 
so that people close to me didn't find out secondhand when they should be finding out firsthand. So I had to hold back telling a lot of people and had it all in progressive order with the epicenter, I would say, of disclosure being preparing my Caring Bridge site with all sorts of detail Ohio was diagnosed and then sending out mass emails at work to over a thousand people with a link and telling them to share it broadly, simultaneously sending out emails to my extended family, how my immediate family I had told already, but then had that email ready to go, so just they went out. So that was uh, critical to getting it out there, and I'm glad I did that because of the difficulty in sharing this kind of news getting everybody on board as quick as possible, it definitely made it easier on us. So at the end of that time, um, one of the things that my girlfriend, one of my girlfriends and I had talked about for years was as we heard people's stories and tragedies that would happen in, our, in their lives, I remember having conversations with them saying, you know, Joy, I really hope that when tragedy or suffering really comes my way, I hope that all the things that I profess to believe about God and God being sovereign, I hope that I really believe it when the time comes and I'm really put to the test. And just praying that, and interestingly, in my bookshelf, most of the books that I have are either on marriage or on suffering. And for a long time, I always felt like I need to prepare myself in case suffering ever comes our way. And I believe that God has prepared us. I feel that he has hidden his word in our heart and never have we said, why me, or why us, or cursed God, cursed or, God, or there's been sadness and anger over the situation and how we've had to uh, adjust to that. But just trusting that God works for good in all things for those are called according to his purposes, and believing that and holding on to that each and every day, and trusting that God's going to work it out for good and we may never know what that good is. And we don't know if you know, we don't know if the good is my ultimate healing. I sure hope it is, but um we do know that God's promises are true. So when he says that he works all things for good, I mean it could be my birth mother comes to the Lord. Uh, I have an estranged brother who I hadn't seen in 32 years that I've been able to reconnect with and even went and spent a week with him in San Diego. He needs the Lord in a big way. Maybe that will be how God uses And I can sit here and speculate on all mm -hmm, the ways that there mm -hmm. could be good. But I had a pastor say to me as I'm coming on with all these great reasons for why I think Ken got ALS, because I needed a reason. I needed a reason to hang my hat on for why Ken had ALS. And I shared with him what I, what I thought. Well, surely, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and he came back and countered with me, like, Patty, what if... Um, what if none of that happens? Like, well, maybe it might not happen in front of me, but it's, you know, good will happen. He goes, well, what if all that happens is that you learn that Jesus is enough? And I started crying, and I remember like, yeah, yeah, what if? You're right. Jesus is enough, and maybe that's the big lesson to be learned, that yeah. Jesus is enough. We're not in control. God is, and whatever the good is is his call. And we can sit here and guess, but we'll never know. But mm -hmm. we do know that it is true that God will work all things for good. Just don't know in which way that's mm -hmm. going to unfold. Thanks, Ken and Patty. There's no pretty bow to wrap around this story. 
It's full of God's grace, but begs for his mercy at the same time. We got a strong sense to wrap this story with a request for prayer. Pray for Kent and Patty and their family, but also for others you may know who are in the midst of chronic illness. Not the, not just the, I don't really know what to say, so I'll tell you I'll pray kind of offer, but the, I will get on my knees before the Father on your behalf, that kind of prayer. And when appropriate, the kind of prayer that gathers around someone, lays hands on them, and brings them before the throne of grace. Isolation and feeling forgotten while life goes on for others is one of the hardest parts of suffering. It's understandable to be unsure of how to respond to someone's illness. It can feel scary. It might test your faith or lead you to come face to face with what C.S. Lewis refers to as the problem of pain. Ken has provided a unique perspective on how to help people in health crises. We listed his ideas in the show notes. Pray about them and see where God leads you with people who are suffering. Ken will also tell you that his health crisis has opened the door for the Holy Spirit to work in his life in ways that would never have been possible before. That's not to say he'd have chosen this path, but he also sees it as a form of blessing not to be wasted. Most of us know that death is imminent, but we go about daily life without thinking about it. Ken has the unique gift and challenge to see life through a more urgent filter. Thanks again for listening to another installment of Long Story Short Podcast. We appreciate you and your encouragement. And thanks for subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, and now on TuneIn. That's how you get automatic feeds for each story on your personal mobile device or tablet, or even on your laptop. By submitting a review on one or more of those services, you help us get the word out. And that's how you can be a part of this story. The point of the podcast is to share God's stories with more people. So thanks for sharing it with friends on social media. And thanks again to Les Elias and the Sons of Abbey for their music contributions. Check out links to their music in the blog notes. Bye-bye. interesting that I've known how to say grandpa and grandma in Spanish for decades but in this course I was taking shortly after I was diagnosed they chose to introduce those words and just saying abuelo which is grandpa would bring me to tears and I just oh I can say grandpa and it didn't do it but if I say it in Spanish I think it's because at the point it was focusing on it was so shortly after I was diagnosed that it kind of permanently impregnated that Spanish word with that emotional response. Whereas I said grandpa many, many times and didn't mean anything, but now when I say abuelos for many times, I haven't said that near as many times, but that's that, and I thought that was very interesting how 
works that that that's impregnated because of that mm -hmm. realization I will get to be one. 